0: Well, many of you know that was the ending to the movie, Cast Away, starring Tom Hanks, one of those great movies, along with Back to the Future and Forrest Gump, directed by Robert Semeckis. In that movie, as the end, Tom Hanks is at a crossroads, literally and figuratively in his life. He's got his whole future ahead. He had been a high-ranking executive with uh, FedEx in the movie, and at Christmas, he was called away to Malaysia to solve a crisis and told his fiancée he would be back soon. And then, of course, the plane crashes in the middle of the Pacific. He gets washed up on an island. And in the course of time, there are three things that allow him to survive on that island. They give him a reason to live over the next four years, going back to his fiance so they can get married. A volleyball that he names Wilson because that's the manufacturer of the volleyball that he has kind of as his alter ego to some degree. And one package. There were lots of packages that washed up. He opened all of them to see if they could help him except one. It was the package with a pair of golden wings. That was the package he was going to deliver where it needed to go. After he was uh, rescued, in the course of his being rescued, he lost one of the reasons to live, the volleyball Wilson, into the ocean. Once he was rescued, he found out he had been declared dead, and his fiance had gotten remarried and, and had a child. And so all he really had left of those things that got him through, and he was able to survive was that package. And he delivered it to its owner somewhere in the panhandle of Texas. And then when he got there, there was no one there. So he wrote on that package, this package saved my life. And so he drove there to that crossroads to see which way he's going to go. His whole future had to be when the lady stops to tell him all the places we can go and all his options. and She drives away and looks. He sees the golden wings of that package on the back of her truck. The director of Zemeckis says that at that moment, as he sees that truck and then he looks at all his options and begins to smile, all of us know that of all the paths that he could take, there is only one that he should take. There was only one best path. And the movie ends with us knowing where he was going to grow. At the crossroads of his life, when there were many options open for him, one was the best option. Our church has been called to reach people for Jesus. That's our task. That's our purpose. And we take that seriously and we do everything we can to reach people. But we understand that we're not going to be able to reach all the people in our area. And so what we want to do at the very least is see if we can somehow impact their life. And so we've kind of entered into this time, this season of our church's life called impact. We want to impact people so that we can later reach them. For Jesus, and, as we began this this campaign of impact that includes our Phase two building and all that goes with it, but it 's so much more, we, we saw at the beginning of August as we were in the Gospel of luke, we, we saw that we had to have a vision to impact, we had to pray to impact, prepare to impact we needed a place to impact people 's lives Last week, we kind of took a break from it a little bit, but still saw a picture of impact and the baptisms that had occurred. Now we move forward we 're going to continue with Luke, but only in the book of Acts, which he wrote as well. And next week we'll see a commitment to impact, and then we'll see, you know, having a a legacy of impact and finally the celebration of impact. But today we're going to look at something that I think really may be the most important message of all the messages in this series because it kind of explains where we are to some degree. It's about being at a crossroads, a crossroads to impact people's lives in Acts chapter 1. And before we get to that passage, this is what I want you to see from this message today, and it is this. Every church, including the very first one, will find itself at a crossroads at some point. What do they do? Every church finds itself at a crossroads. What will that church do? So I want to begin by asking the question, what's next? Not just simply for us, but... Actually, I want to ask the question, what connects?" for that very first church, that very first group of believers in Acts. I want you to use your imagination, if you would, just for a little bit today. And I want to picture you to picture yourself back at the time of that very first church. That very first group of believers, Jesus has just ascended into heaven. And you're part of that initial group somehow. There's 120 of them in, in, uh, in Jerusalem. There's over 500 at least throughout the area. But you're in that small group in Jerusalem. Maybe, maybe you're one of the apostles. You want to be Peter. or Maybe you don't want to be that high up. Maybe you'll just be you know, Bartholomew or, or, you know, or James Celeste or something like that. It doesn't matter which apostle you are. Unless you're John, you're going to get killed anyway. So it's just the future for you. Maybe you want to be one of the brothers of Jesus who didn't believe at first. But you came to faith after you saw the resurrected Lord, who's your brother. Maybe you're one of the women, one of the many different Marys, you know, Mary Magdalene, Mary who's an aunt, Mary who's his mother, or someone else. But I just want you to picture yourself back then. And and you've seen the resurrected Lord. I mean, he he was crucified, and, and, and maybe you were a believer, maybe not. But since he was resurrected, you've seen him, and there's so much excitement. And now he's been ascended into heaven. And before he left, when you, you were with him in Galilee a few days earlier before his ascension, and he said, guys, I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to go and make disciples. And you're so excited about making disciples because you know that people need Jesus and you're going to get to be a part of that group to go help people come to faith. But he also said, and Luke records this in two different places, at the end of his gospel in chapter 24, verse 49, and in the book of Acts, where there's a little bit of overlap in chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus gave them a command to remain in Jerusalem, to wait here until the authority and the power from the Father comes from above. And on top of that, you just got to hearing Jesus say before he ascended, and Acts 1-8 tells us that the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And when he comes upon you, you will be my witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and to the rest of the world. And, and, and you've got these conflicting messages. You're to go... You're to stay. And he's like, Should I mean wait? Should I go or should I stay? You know, it's kind of like the song, The Clash in 82, you know? Probably no place else in all of America can you go to church and hear a reference to The Clash. So it's probably unique here. <laughs> you go, you stay. And you, you've got that group, you know, you've got Peter, then we got to go. We've we got no time to waste, so we've got to start telling people, and there's probably some a little more cautious, saying, Wait, wait, wait. He said to wait here. Well, we are waiting here. We'll stay in Jerusalem. You heard him. We'll start here, but let's go, let's go. And people say, well, let's let's wait on the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit was already, he breathed the Holy Spirit on us already. Saw that at the end of Luke. I mean, you've got that, and so you've got a little tension. And tension's not a bad thing. Tensions can be a really good thing because you've got got these great, awesome people so excited. But here's what we see. We see a tension between Jesus' command to go and command to wait. What do they do? Well, we see what they do in Acts chapter 1. Remember this. Whenever you come to the book of Acts, it is dominated by Acts 1.8. No other book in all the Bible, especially in the New Testament, has one verse, has one saying of Jesus that is the key to understanding everything that occurs. In Acts 1.8, right before he ascended, Jesus said, The power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem. Then Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the earth. With that in mind, Acts 12 says this. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day's journey away. That's about three-quarters of a mile. They they went back to Jerusalem. They had seen the Lord ascend. Can you imagine what it must have been like? We we kind of blow through the ascension. I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of when I read Acts. Okay, he ascended. That's cool. Can you imagine being there? I mean, some of them saw him crucified. Nobody saw him resurrected nobody saw him resurrected. But you got to see, can you imagine talking and he just goes up into heaven and you're standing there with your mouth hanging over it. in fact an angel has to say, man, shut your mouth. What are you doing? Go ahead. He's going to come back just as you saw him. <laughs> He's coming back just like that and every one of them thought he was coming back in their life. They all thought that. Can you imagine the excitement and the anticipation, the willingness, the readiness to go, 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 but you got to wait, wait, wait. So they were all we back to Jerusalem. Verse 13 says this. When they entered the city, they went to the upper room where they were staying. Now the homes there, a lot like our homes out here have flat roofs. Some of you may have a home we can climb up on the roof, kind of like a patio. They all had that. And they would use it you know, kind of as, as a guest room where they would have someplace up there they could stay. And there was 120 believers. And so they weren't all up there. When you see the 120, like you do in verse 15, they're probably at Solomon's, uh, probably at the temple in Solomon's Colonnade there. So you had, you had these people. We don't know whose house it was. It could have been John Mark's. Nobody knows. Could have been where they had the Last Supper. Nobody knows. Doesn't matter. They're there. And then he gives us a list of the apostles, you know, with everybody except for Judas. You got Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And then in verse 14, here's what we have. And these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So not only were the apostles there, his family was there, probably a few others, they were in this room. And here's what we were told they were doing they were praying. Now, prayer is not, prayer is just not some cliche, it's not some spiritual cop-out. We use it that way sometimes. Um, People say, I'm not what I do. Well, just pray, brother, and the answer will come to you. I mean, sometimes we use prayer. We're guilty, and I preached on prayer a few weeks back, so this is not about prayer. It's not just about prayer. But we're guilty of sometimes using prayer the same ways the pagans did. I'm just telling you that. If you use prayer to manipulate God, if you use prayer as some sort of, magic that forces God to do things your way, that if you just pray the right way and do, say the right things and use the right names and say it in Jesus' name, God will give you whatever you want. That's what the pagans did. That's not the Christian concept of prayer. That word for prayer is a word that means to submit to. It is the concept of coming before and communicating with, bowing yourself before. And so it, it is the idea of communicating something to God in such a way as you submit to God. See, we communicate to God, with God, two ways, prayer and scriptures. The Holy Spirit works through the scriptures and through prayer. That's how he works. The Holy Spirit does not work through special revelation. He does not appear to you in all sorts of imaginations and figments. He may speak to you through a message, but that's still the word of God. He may speak to you through the wisdom of others. Got all that. But your communication with God is through prayer and through the scriptures. So they were praying. Not only were they praying, but it also says to us they had one mind. They had one mind. And the idea of one mind means they were together. They were in agreement. They were focused on their praying. You had people who were looking at things differently. Some were willing to go, some wanted to wait, but they all agreed on this thing. With one mind together, they were praying to understand what God would have them do. Undoubtedly, they were praying for the Holy Spirit, which had been promised so prominently to them. In fact, they had already received the Holy Spirit. Luke says, you know, they, they, Jesus breathed on them and so said received the Holy Spirit. So they were looking for something from the Holy Spirit, some path, some way the Holy Spirit would work. They knew they had to go. There was no question. They knew how they would begin to process in Jerusalem. But they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to lead them. And with this focus that they had, it says they were persistent. It says they were continually devoted to prayer. They kept on praying. It doesn't mean that prayer was all they did. We know it wasn't all they did. If you read on in verse 15 and following, they did other things. But prayer was at the heart of what they were doing. They were spending time praying, seeking. What does the future have? They were at a crossroads. They needed to make the right decision. They needed to go in the right directions. And so they were saying, well, what do we dead? This is important. Prayer soft the tension between going and waiting. Prayer wasn't some passive thing. They weren't passive. They were active. They were praying. Praying that they would know when to go and how to go. There was no question that they were going. They wanted to do it the right way. Take the right direction. Path, and they prayed. They prayed and saw the tension. Then the Holy Spirit came. <laughs> and when He came, 10 days after the resurrection of Jesus, 3,000 people were saved that day. Now, I've known a lot of preachers who lie a lot about the number of people they get saved any time they preach. I've never heard anyone tell that big a fib. That's a unique experience. They weren't fibbing there. I'm saying the preacher would be fibbing. The I wanted to clarify that. (laughs) Made it sound like I said Luke was fibbing. That's not what I said. But 3,000 people were saved. It's estimated that within the first two months, there were 20,000 new believers. By the time the book of Acts ends, 30 years later, the gospel had been preached all throughout the Roman Empire. 300 years later, Christianity would come to be the religion of the Romans. I mean, it was an amazing thing that began that day. But here's the important thing. Don't think that the reason the Holy Spirit came is because they were praying. He was already coming. I've heard too many preachers say, "Well, the Holy Spirit wasn't going to come until they started praying. That's not true. Jesus had promised he was coming. He said nothing about what they were going to do. There was nothing they were doing. That was going to determine when and where the Holy Spirit came. Here's what's important. The Holy Spirit did not come because they prayed. They prayed because the Holy Spirit was coming. And they needed to be ready to act upon his arrival. They were praying because he was coming. And they needed to know what to do. What's next when the Holy Spirit comes? What was next is they would change the world. They knew what was to come. They just didn't know exactly how to take that path. So let me share with you what I hope we can see from this today for us, that the path seems pretty clear. We know what we need to do. I have shared this many times over the last few weeks. I did, just finished up 17 desserts. Uh, several people were a part of that. Uh, Ken Atcock and I did 17 together as the director of our Impact Campaign. Other people were very involved. Thanks to all of you who participated in every one of those. I said this. I said, when we came out here about three and a half years ago, we left behind fifty five thousand square feet to come to less than nineteen thousand square feet. We always knew we would build more we didn 't know when in that time, on any given month, we have now doubled the number of people who come through the doors of our church for a spiritual encounter. We are over two to two and a half times as many people actually that are here, so obviously it's time to that 's not it, but the process, the how, the movement, we're kind of at that crossroads, like Tom Hanks. There's a lot of paths to take, but one is the best path. Churches come to crossroads all the time. It's nothing new. Uh, Most churches, in fact, before the pandemic, 80% of the churches in America, including Southern Baptist churches, were either plateaued or dying. Plateaued simply means you weren't quite dying yet, but you were on your way. I mean, those churches were all at a crossroads. But you know, now that the pandemic... This part of the pandemic, it's not really over, I guess, but where we are now, that number has increased. The pandemic and the way churches responded to it exposed a lot of problems in a lot of churches. There are very few churches that have reached their pre-pandemic numbers, much less have grown. I talk to guys all over the place. What they're doing, the guys they know, the struggles, what's there. We are one of a very few churches that not only have reached our pre-pandemic numbers, but have actually grown. Do not take that for granted. What you experience here on a Sunday is not happening throughout so much of our country. I mean, God has richly blessed us. It is amazing what God has done. And I tell you that to know we've got to keep that going. There's a responsibility with that. That's not something we take lightly. And churches face crossroads for a lot of reasons. Some because of crisis. My last two churches that I pastored, had, had splits before I got there. I always emphasize the split came before I arrived. It did not come after I arrived. But they were in a crisis mode. That's why they were where they were. They had to find a solution, a way out They were in a crisis. Some churches. The community changes, and they find themselves at a crossroads. The very first church I ever went to, 41 years ago this Tuesday, I showed up to be the youth minister at Northside Baptist Church. I, I can still remember that. It's amazing that I can think. I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning, but I can remember back then. And that church was in a changing community. It took them a while, but they eventually figured out what they needed to do. They were at a crossroads. And sometimes you're at a crossroads because of good things. That's where we are. We're at a good place. But even though you're at good places, you have to make critical decisions. You can make the wrong decision, and you always face obstacles. It's amazing the number of obstacles that they faced back at that early church. I mean, we, we, we see the growth they added to people, but if you read the book of Acts, and from chapter 3 and chapter 4, they had the obstacles of the Jewish religious, religious leaders. Chapter 5, there's the whole Ananias and Sapphira things. Chapter 6, people got upset within the church. Chapter 7, they killed Stephen. I mean, go on and on and on. We have obstacles. So a lot of them are the result of good things. For instance, we know about a week and a half ago i got called from our building contractors up in dallas uh, the golf company billy golf and billy and i had become friends over this billy said hey david i gotta tell you something the cost of your building's going up and we can do about it. yeah i was afraid of that i mean the cost of our building going up uh, a whole lot it's gone up and he said not only that but because of all the construction delays it'll probably be delayed before we can actually get to building it just need to let you know that Cost of steel was doubled, and, and it's now a ten month wait to get steel once you've ordered it. And I'm like, oh, that's good, Billy. What else good do you want to share with me? So you know, next week I'm flying up there to go talk to him, and you know we got other great. I mean, we've we've grown faster than we thought. You know that's an issue. We got to sell our Miranda property. You know that's an issue. But here's the thing: they're all good problems. So when I talk to my preacher friends, they don't want to hear my problems. They don't want to hear me say, oh man, I knew building's going to cost more than we thought. They don't want to hear that. Those are problems, they're good problems, but they're always obstacles. Never let obstacles get in the way. You can't let that impede what you have to do. So in mind what we're seeing in Acts chapter 1, I want to share with you a few things that we need to understand as we stand at a crossroads, much like Tom Hanks with some choices ahead of us. Some of them are pretty good, but one is the absolute best choice. First is this, we have to agree. We are called help people have a saving relationship with Jesus. That is our priority. We must agree. Nothing is as important as that. Nothing is as important as people coming to a saving relationship with Christ. It, it's really hit home for me this week. It, I mean, I know this, but sometimes things happen to remind you. On Monday, uh, my 79-year-old uncle passed away, and when he passed away, he was lost. He had rejected every opportunity to receive Christ. I was probably the only person in family left that had anything, he had anything to do with, and He died a bitter, broken, broken, bitter, angry man. So tragic to see that. The last few years of conversations when I would go to see him were just, I hated it. Because he was so bitter. And he refused to come to Christ. And Monday he faced Christ. And I can guarantee you at the second he died, he regretted every time he had ever rejected Jesus. And at that moment, nothing he had ever done in his life mattered. I thought about my uncle's life. There's no service. He donated his body to medicine. They'll have it for two to five years. There's no service. There's nobody to mourn him. There's nobody to remember him. He lived an entire life, and when it was over, for what? Because he went to face Jesus, having rejected Jesus. Then it hit me. People, more than anything, need Christ. Our life doesn't matter. What are we going to do in someone's life That is more important than helping them come to Jesus. The answer is nothing. So we should agree upon that. Second, let's do this. Focus on the path the Holy Spirit provides. He always provides the path. The book of Acts is amazing. It starts off with these guys. And and the leader of the pack is Peter. You know who you don't see in Acts chapter 1? Paul. It's not Paul. I mean, it's like Paul hadn't even begun persecuting Christians yet because there weren't enough to persecute. You don't even see Paul until chapter 8, the beginning of chapter 8. And then it's bad. You know how the book of Acts ends? Paul, having taken the gospel to all the world, you know who you don't see at the end of the book of Acts? Peter. What happened to Peter? He's gone. The book of Acts, (laughs) the book of Acts it's about Acts 1.8. They start in Jerusalem. There's Peter. They end in the uttermost parts of the world. Oh, there's Paul. Luke just follows where the Holy Spirit takes him in writing the story of the church. It's the story of going down the path the Holy Spirit leads you on regardless of who's involved. The Holy Spirit's leading us a path of reaching people. It doesn't matter who's involved. That's where we're going. That's where He leads us. And to do that, we know we have to build more space because we're not going to reach anyone else if it's too full. I hear people say sometimes, you know, I've heard so many preachers preach. Lately, I've just been remembering how many preachers are just lazy when they preach. And they don't put the thought and prayer and effort in to rightfully convey the word. of God, I've heard preachers say, well, we got it. They're not coming to us. We don't need all these buildings. We just need to go to them. Okay, well, when we go to them, where are they going? We need a place for them to go. Once they become followers of Jesus, they've got to come someplace to worship and to learn and to meet more Christians. That's why we're here. That's why we have to build some more people. Can have a place. Because here's the thing there aren't many churches in Las Cruces right now reaching people. It's our responsibility. With that in mind, the third thing I want to share with you is this pray to understand your role in following the path to reach people. All of us have a role. You need to pray to figure out what yours is. I have a role. I know you say, well, you're the preacher. Yeah, but what does that mean? It's, being a preacher is more than what I'm doing here. This is the easiest thing I do. I'm serious. Standing up here four times on Sunday. Which, by the way, none of the other staff guys could begin to do. They just don't have the ability and the stamina and the old age. I can't even get Brian to do a full three. The twelve is half a service. He can't go one full service. <laughs> this is the easiest thing I do. So what's my role? I'm always praying through that. What is your role going to be? Impact should help you with that. It really should. I mean, worship's part of it. Serving should be a part. You should serve. Josh Cuellar is over at Worship an Hour, Serve an Hour. He did a survey with some of the people who are serving. And one of the questions was something like this, What what is serving done for you? And the number one answer is helps you meet more people. Connects you to people. Serving connects you to people. Being connected in a small group is so important. You know, our, our connect groups are starting back up and we had connect night last week. If you're not in a connect group or any kind of group, call Joe, email Joe. We'll, we'll get you hooked up. We'll get you hooked up in a connect group. Praying matters. Oh, some people say all I can do is pray. Pray is important. Giving's important. I mean, the impact campaign is a lot about giving. Not everybody can give and I get that. And I've said many times, if you can't give the impact, don't worry about it. It's cool. And so not everybody's in a position to give to the building campaign. That is okay. Do not worry about it. You're still a part of this church. You're still an important part, but here's what you got to do. you got to find your role. What is your role going to be in helping people come to Jesus? So here's the thing. Follow the Holy Spirit to impact the lives of people who need Jesus. That's what we have to do. we got to follow the Holy Spirit. Collectively, we have to do that. Nothing can get in our way. We've got to be together on that. Nothing, no obstacle, no setback, nothing gets in our way of following the Holy Spirit, so that we can impact the lives of people who need Jesus. But you have to do the same thing. You have to have the same commitment in your life. Whatever it is He wants you to do, it's not for me to tell you. I can't tell you, man. I barely figure out what it is I'm supposed to do. But whatever it is you're supposed to do. You need to follow. You need to follow the Holy Spirit. Because that's what they did in Acts chapter 1. That's exactly what was happening. When it was through and the Holy Spirit came, they changed the world. Seems that the path for us is pretty clear. What part of that path will you take? For some of you who are a part of this church... I ask and I invite you at this time to commit your life to impacting the lives of others. However you have to impact their life, you figure it out. You figure out how to impact their life. Now, will you always succeed? No. I promise you won't always succeed. Monday was evident to me that I don't always succeed. But you still have to make that effort and that commitment. For some of you, you need to make the commitment of how you're going to be a part of impact. What is your participation, impact. I don't know. That's something you've got to decide. But we invite you to decide that. For some of you, you've got to decide if this is going to be your church home or not. You can formally join our church. We always love people to come and say, I'm going to be a member. But you don't have to be a member for this to be your church home. But all we ask, if you don't join our church formally, that's fine. But at least commit yourself to letting this be your church home. And make that commitment today. Say, this is my church. David, I mean. You may even, you don't have to tell me this, but I've had people say I'm not really going to join. I'm like, that's okay. Is this your church home? Yeah, then make it sure you're connected to our church. Some of you need to make that commitment, and some of you, what you really need to do today is give your life to Christ because that's your real problem. You've never trusted Jesus to be saved. And I want to invite you to do that. Listen, you don't want to wait until you meet Jesus to realize you need Jesus. You need Jesus before you ever meet him. So give your life to him. I don't know what it is that the Lord wants you to do. We're going to have some of us standing here if you want to come. and We can pray with you. We can do whatever. But understand this. We're at a crossroads. And there is a clear path for us to take. And so like Tom Hanks with a smile on our face, we'll go down that path. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, who is our Savior who provided that way for us to salvation, that way for us to you. He provided a way, Father, for us to give our lives so that we can have salvation. Nothing is more important. Father, let us follow you right where you want us to go. Let us follow the Holy Spirit's leadership in the life of our church, that not only will we reach people, but even those we never reach, Father, we can impact them. We can let them know you love them. Let them know you care for them. We can touch their life. We are at a crossroads, Lord. And there is a path we must take. So let us follow that path. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? We'll be at the front to greet you. We come.